Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Dark Art Society Podcast. I'm your host, Chet Czar, and this week we are... Oh, happy Halloween. Happy Halloween, everybody. Um, <clears throat> this week, I'm doing a live stream. So this is live. It's happening right now. And uh, I'm just going to do the intro like I normally do. And hey, Prag Magic. Hey, Dan. What's up? Uh, sorry. Okay, I'm not going to get into <laughs> to the live chat yet. I'm going to approach this like a regular episode because I'm going to download it and then upload it as an audio podcast. So this is a live, um, special live Halloween stream. And uh, I'm just going to hang out with people in the chat, take questions. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. Uh, so anyway, um, let's see. I'll give you my weekly um, update like I normally do. Uh, painted some crybabies for my Kickstarter rewards. Um, shipping those out. Those are probably the, the biggest rewards that need to go out. There's like 30-something of them. Um, been doing that. Working on... Oh. It's custom frame. Um, I grafted a couple frames together. Uh, working on my Divine Feminine sculpture. Hopefully that'll be ready for the holidays. Some commission... The Shining uh, paintings, commissions. So I've been really busy. Got my flu shot yesterday and my third COVID booster and my shoulders totally sore. Um, but that's what I've been doing. And uh, uh, I've had the Halloween spirit this year. Even though it's hot as hell here, really sucks. But um, other than that, I'm feeling the vibe. And uh, so I'm... I'm I thought a, a, a live stream would be kind of a fun way we could all sort of share the Halloween spirit. Um, if you, okay, let's see. What do I do now? See, I'm all discombobulated because I've never done a live stream before. Um, not, not like this. Uh, oh, hit like and subscribe, please. If you haven't subscribed to the channel, please do so. Uh, share. Sharing would be great. Liking would be great. Um, also, if you want to support, you can go to uh, patreon.com slash darkartsociety and join for as little as a dollar a month. If you join at the $5 and above level, you get a 20% uh, coupon code, 20% off coupon code for Skull Shop, which is our sponsor, S-K-U-L-L-S-H-O-P-P-E. And if you want to support my work, you can go to patreon.com slash chitzar and also join for as little as a dollar. And you get to see all these time lapses for these paintings I do and daily progress and all that. Okay, that's, that's everything I normally do at the intro, right? I think I covered everything. So that's it. Okay, now we're in the live stream. Hello, everybody. Happy Halloween. Oh, I got all kinds of people here. Uh, hello, Dylan Clement, Steve Doom, Karina, Delaro, hello, Miss Worm, Paint Hand Dan, Prag Magic, 
Christopher DeKays, Steve Clef, Marco Visconti, what's up? Thanks for hanging out. Happy Halloween. Um, yeah. Yep, skullshop.com. Oh, shit. Uh, accidentally, accidentally, uh, okay. Accidentally turned the live stream on in another tab. Anyway, how you all doing? Everybody good out there? Getting ready to enjoy your Halloween, or are you enjoying your Halloween? Uh, I, I, hey, uh, Dylan, greetings from Canada, greetings from outside of L.A. in the U.S. All right, Miss Worms in the U.K., I appreciate you coming to the live stream. I have my, my granddaughter, yes, I have a granddaughter. She's 13. That's how old I am. Um, she turned 13 today. Aaron Handel. Hello. Um, yeah, so it was her birthday, so she came. We gave her some presents. Hung out with her for a bit. So that's why I uh, didn't do this a little earlier. I uh, don't know what I'm going to do tonight. I've been um, spending time the last week watching a bunch of cool old horror movies like 70s era uh, uh, Amicus. Do you guys know the Amicus films? Hey, Mark DeLauro. Hey, thank you, Aaron Handel. Uh, Celebration in the Morning was great, Dan, Paint Hand Dan. It was cool. Um, she basically gave us a list. She, you know, she's 13, so she's all into clothes. <laughs> so she gave us a list of all these things that she wanted, these clothes, and we just bought you know, a reasonable amount of them because that list was insane. It was like a thousand dollars worth of stuff. We're like, no, you're not getting a thousand dollars worth of clothes. Um, yeah, so it went well. Yes, like, share, subscribe, people. I'd appreciate it. Um, yeah, right. Seventies movies. They yeah, it doesn't seventies uh, doesn't seem that <laughs> that long ago. Uh, Amicus. Anyway. Have you ever seen the Amicus films? Hey, Alex Fitch, what's up? Have you seen the Amicus films? Now, Amicus was the uh, the other horror uh, production company. Hammer was the big one. Hammer was like the Christopher Lee, Dracula movies, uh, Frankenstein movies, uh, gothic horror movies. These were like this uh, from the 60s and 70s, I believe. And then Amicus was kind of like the low-budget version of uh, Hammer and they did these portmanteau, portmanteau, I think they call them, uh, the, the a anthology movies where there's like a main, uh, kind of a main setting. And then there's three or four stories or five stories or something within that, within the main kind of, uh, story. And those are my favorite. I like Amicus over Hammer big time. So like Tales from the Crypt, the original one, like I think it's 1972 or something. And there's one called Asylum. There's one called uh, Torture Garden from the from 65, I think, or something. 67 in the 60s, I know that. But they're really great, and they're and most of them are on YouTube. So if you dig that sort of thing, I just I love it. I'm so so into these. Uh, old 70s horror movies of that type. I just love everything about them. They're they're cheesy, 
but the stories are fun and creepy and great. Um, so that's what I've been doing to get into the, the mood and then painting and just kind of working. Oh yeah. Asylum's great. Uh, yeah. That one with the little robots, <laughs> the guys, the little robots and he steps at the steps on the one at the end and the robot has intestines. It's so disturbing. Um, I really love them all though. They're great. Vault of Horror is another one that's good. So, just been watching movies, painting, horror movie type stuff, and uh, feeling the Halloween vibe. Um, so yeah, I don't know. What do you guys want to talk about? Do you have any questions? Did you have any questions? Art-related questions? Movie, career-related questions? Um Halloween related questions. You know, Halloween's a, a, a weird holiday because, you know, it's like our Christmas for people that are into horror and uh Jeffrey Balden. It's great in asylum. I don't know which one Jeffrey Balden is. I'll have to look him up. Miss Worm wrote Jeffrey Balden is great in asylum, quite frightening. Hey Gabe. <laughs> Gabe's here. Gabe Leonard. Um, yeah, so anyway, like Halloween's kind of like our Christmas. Uh, oh, Dylan Clement, Clement asked for highlights of my career. Okay, I'll talk about that. But, um, you know, it's like it really is for people like us. It's kind of like every day is sort of like Halloween. So it's more like Halloween is the day of the year where everybody else sort of... Um, pays tribute to the stuff that we're paying tribute to every day. It's sort of like the rest of the world gets in line with us for one day. <laughs> um, uh, so, okay. So, so Dylan Clement asked, what are the highlights of my career? So uh, there's a few or there are a few. Um, I think working, working on the blob, of course, cause that was my, my uh, first big movie. I started as a, kind of making molds, sweeping the floor. And then by the end of it, I was sculpting characters and um, painting. I was the main painter. I painted all the blob victims or most of them. So that was a big deal for me. I was really young. I don't know, 87. So I was uh, 19 or something. Uh, working on the tool videos, of course. Those were, those were all the tool videos were highlights for me because uh, they're just so cool. Um, it's funny now that with social media and bands and, and, and uh, uh, streaming, music streaming, bands don't really do videos or they don't have the same impact as they used to. Like back in the day, ban a band would do a video and it would be released on MTV and it would be a big, huge thing and everybody would be talking about it. And, um, now, and, and tool would do, that was their thing. They would do these amazing videos, every album. And, um, that market just doesn't exist anymore. So, uh, they don't, they, it's, I forget which album. They just kind of stopped doing videos. I think, um, uh, so yeah, it's, it's kind of sad. It's like a bygone era. Um, music videos, especially for the really cool ones. But 
yeah, so the tool videos are a big one. You know, Dark Man was a big one too because that was right after the blob, I think. And it was Liam Neeson, although he wasn't huge. He was kind of a newer actor back then. But I was I was the lead artist in that, so I got to sculpt it based on a design that my boss, Tony Gardner, had sculpted uh, like a rough maquette. And I had to reproduce that and kind of make it work on a, an actor. And so I got to sculpt that and paint that and apply the makeup. So that was a, another big, like, you know big highlight of my career uh working on the hellboy movies you know meeting guillermo del toro working on those hellboy movies because uh, i was a fan of guillermo's back in um you know from his first movie i think chronos so i knew him from way back when or at least i knew of him i knew of his work so that was kind of cool working with him um what else? Uh, sh there's been I've ha I've been fortunate. There's been a lot of really cool highlights. When, um, Guillermo mentioning me <clears throat> in the in the uh, 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 the strain as as a a real artist in a in a fictional book was pretty cool. I have a cra insane story about that too. Um, if you haven't heard that, I posted it on my Twitter a few days ago because I remembered it. I was thinking about it, how insane it was. It's such a weird cosmic uh, synchronicity. Oh, if you haven't seen Darkman, Dylan, it's really great. It still holds up. It's really kind of one of the first comic book style movies. It's really great. It's really great. Um, a classic for sure. Yeah, Sam Raimi. Sam Raimi is uh, amazing. Really super talented. Uh, let's see, Alex Fitch, regards to your Patreon membership, I know that it's primarily related to painting, but say, if I were to sign up, digital sculpting painting, would that still work? Yeah, I do. I show everything on my Patreon. I show anything I'm working on, uh, painting, resin figures, doing oil paintings, framing molding casting whatever i'm working on is what i post and then i try to do monthly tutorials i've missed a couple months here and there but uh, there's a big backlog of tutorials from everything from oil painting to uh, frame molding how i create my frames how my how i do frame corners how i attach them to the frame molding casting painting resin everything anything i could think of i i, I make tutorials for uh, as well as like oil painting uh you know beginner's guide to oil painting and different va values working with values and stuff like that so uh let's see aaron hand handle your your tool art is what brought me to your art that's cool i appreciate it uh yeah album cover art Miss Worm said, same with album cover art. It's a shame, shame that that's all gone. Yeah, that Alex, that Opiate 2 video was really cool. That was amazing. Dominic Hailstone, su super talented guy. Uh, let's see. In the ring, did you do that creepy closet? Alex asked, creepy closet scene. I didn't do that. I don't, you know, 
I don't know if I worked on the first ring or if I were, I know I worked on the ring too. You know, when you're working at a shop, you're like a pair of hands. And if you're in the sculpture department, you get stuff brought to you and they tell you what to do and then you do it. And then it goes to the mold department. So you're just like sculpting on different things. So you might work on one movie for a week and then for a couple days, work on another movie. Cause there's maybe, you know, three or four movies going on at the same time in the shop. So, uh, I know it gets brought up that I worked on the ring a lot, but I think it might've only been the, <laughs> the ring too, but I may have worked on the ring. I really, I don't remember. I know on the ring too, I did some sculpting of the little girl's prosthetics. Uh, Kazu Tsuji, um, did the makeup on the little girl and, he had this really weird uh, new technique for, for um, creating these process, these body prosthetics for her. And they had to be sculpted really thinly and really detailed. So I, uh, I worked on that. I did, I think her arms and legs or something. I don't know. I, uh, let's see. Okay. What else do we have? Hey, Kirsten M. Happy Halloween. Uh, yeah, any other questions you can think of? Uh, I'll tell you something about that cr creepy closet scene is that that figure was at Rick Baker's in the mechanical department, pushed away in a corner, and just there is decoration. And every time I would go in the mechanical department to talk to the mechanic about some effect we were working on, it scared the shit out of me every time. Cause I don't know if it's cause it was low on the ground. It looked real, but it like every time it scared everybody kind of hilarious, you know, we're used to this stuff, but that thing, I don't know, freaked me, freaked me out. It scared me every time. It made me jump. Um, uh, I got a, sorry, junk text. Any guests lined up for the podcast? Well, I've got, I've got a list of people. I've got Natalia Fabia. I have to schedule. She, she agreed to be on it. She's a great painter. Uh, Kalisa thinks, Gabe Leonard said, Kalisa thinks the nun movie, nun movies ripped you off. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> kind of, I thought it kind of ripped off Marilyn Manson a little bit, but um, uh, guess for the next podcast, uh, oh yeah. Um, I got Rick Baker to Rick Baker said he'd be on the podcast and I haven't been able to get a hold of him after that. So I need to like work some of my connections to see if I can get in touch with him because I really, I really wanted to have him on for like episode 300, which this is, but, um, with everything going on, I wasn't able to line up a guest uh yeah what is the i had i had a list of people that i had kind of talked to but i hadn't scheduled natalia is the only one i can that comes to mind i've got a long list of people i just need to kind of ask them it's hard to do every week i don't know how i've been able to uh keep it up it's kind of crazy yeah, Rick Baker would be amazing. He's a really nice guy and uh, super talented. He's a great painter. I don't know if you know that. Uh, 
<laughs> yeah, I Gabe said we should you should do another NFT episode. I want to do an NFT episode, which is like a debriefing post NFT episode because I, you know, because of how everything went down and uh I feel uh I don't know. When I when we got in, Gabe and I got in. Gabe and I and Josh um, Breckenridge, we kind of went in at the same time to try it out, and it ended up kind of being a lot of false hope and uh, kind of dis kind of a disappointment. Um, so I do I do kind of want to do a final NFT episode to put a bow on it and uh, give my critiques of the whole thing because there's a lot to critique about it. Um, yeah, Alex. Rick Baker's a great pa an oil painter. His father was an oil painter, a uh, really good oil painter. And um and uh yeah, he he every once if you look at I, I think maybe on his profile, his Instagram, his Instagram's amazing cuz he's like playing like a kid now. He's just doing, you know, what we used to do when we were kids, which is like uh you know, just making cool stuff for fun. But he's a great painter. He's like a natural painter too. Um, he does like universal monsters and stuff. Yeah, that was the thing. Alex says I, I wanted to jump in on the NFT thing, but missed the train. Um, I kind of we we came in at the very tail end of it, so I made some good money, which was amazing. But man, if I would have listened to Josh Breckenridge, who was telling me to get into NFTs a year before that. I probably would be a millionaire. No, no shit. I, it was like, <laughs> we just kind of missed it. It was just starting to, it was, you know, good right when we got in and then it just started going downhill and all these scammers and criminals and assholes got involved. But anyway, yeah. So, um, I don't know. Any other questions? Anything? What have you always wanted to ask me? Or have you ever wanted to ask me anything? Especially for artists. See you, Miss Worm. Thanks for stopping by. Um, <laughs> Paris Hilton ran out of money to buy NFTs. Uh, yeah. A lot of those people are getting sued. It's crazy. That whole thing is insane. Um, I don't know. Okay. Any more questions? Otherwise, I'm going to have to think of things to... Uh, okay, here's a question. Uh, Hellboy. What did I do? Um, I did, for the first Hellboy, I sculpted his right hand of doom. That stone arm. I have somewhere around here. I have a copy of it. That's probably in the other room. Uh, uh, details. On, okay. Um, okay. Now questions are coming. Um, I sculpted the right hand of doom. I painted it. I sculpted his sawed off. No, I didn't sculpt it. I painted his horns, the big horns, and his sawed off horns. I sculpted... I helped detail sculpt Matt um, uh, Matt Rose, who was in charge of that makeup. I helped 
sculpted the uh, body, did detailing, pores and stuff. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, that was for Hellboy 1. I may have done some painting on, on the, uh, the bodysuit also for the shirtless scene is what I'm talking about. Um, yeah, that arm was so, so fun to sculpt. I love sculpting stone, you know, cracked stone is really one of my favorite things to sculpt. I sculpted, a an old cracked tombstone early on in my career for some independent project. And it was so cool. It was so much fun, and I've just been a huge fan of sculpting. I like sculpting natural, organic stuff, uh, uh, like flesh, fleshy things, wrinkles, and I love sculpting old aged stone. Those are probably my two favorite things to sculpt, and ears. I love sculpting ears. Uh, let's see. Other questions. Dylan Clement, you said any tips for. Oh, oh, oh sorry. Right, let me finish. Um, let, me, let me finish. Um, Hellboy, Hellboy two, I did I did designs I did a bunch of designs many of which didn't get used, but uh, uh, like Photoshop two D Photoshop designs for the troll market for the uh, I forget that one monster the main monster and the name of the main monster, but I did designs for that. Um, I did the Chamberlain, which was the the king's right hand man who's in for just a split second or three or four seconds and that was that was fun that was that was where i got to design it 100 percent. guillermo's like that's fine i did one pass at the maquette you can see it on my on chetzar.com in the in the film section i think that's still up there or that might be on my old website uh anyway so i did the chamberlain that was like this character i was working on designed it <clears throat> and I did, there's a Siamese, Siamese twin character in the troll market that are, I think this team in Spain did the effects for that. They had the, the effects kind of split up different, different crews doing different effects, but I did do the design because I remember I didn't, it was just one of the designs I came up with this kind of like Siamese twin monster dudes. And, uh, and then I watched the movie and I was like, Oh, I didn't, I don't remember making that, but I remember doing the design for that. So I think, uh, the, the Spanish, I forget the name of the Spanish, um, effects crew, they did it. Um, so yeah, that's what I did on Hellboy two, I think. Okay. I, I probably did other stuff that I can't remember too. Let's see. Okay, what's next? <laughs> okay, we've got uh, what's your first paranormal ex paranormal experience? Okay, Dylan Clement, any tips for soothing details on a sculpt? Do you mean smoothing? Um, because I'm assuming that's what you mean, and I have various ways of smoothing. I usually use rake tools which are little rakes. Uh, I don't know if you'll be able to see them. It's like two wires twisted. A guitar string works. 
smoothing. Okay. Uh, jeweler saw. Jeweler saw works. It's got to have little teeth. And so I block a sculpture out with my hands. And then I will take a rake tool. I'll use this Divine Feminine. You can see some of the rake lines. It helps even a surface if you take the rake tool and you kind of like develop the forms with a rake. It like evens the surface and it's almost like cross hatching with pen and ink. Kind of go back and forth, even the surface with a rake, smooth it with your finger a bit. And then you can take a, uh, I sometimes take a, this pet screen, which is like screen door material, but uh, it's got a plastic coating on it. And then you can kind of go, oop. and that works as like a finer rake to get out the rake marks. So then you've got these finer rake marks. Then I will go in with maybe a black sponge, kind of like that material that's uh, in uh, air conditioners, this black, black, um, open poured sponge material like filters in an air conditioner i'll use that um and then you can use uh alcohol 99 percent alcohol on a brush to smooth you can use your fingers and spit <laughs> that works pretty good um if you really want to smooth things down to a huge degree you can use terpenoid and that really melts the clay, but it leaves a greasy film all over it. And then you have to kind of take a spray bottle with, um, I think 99% alcohol. And then you got to spray all the sludge off it. So it's super messy. But if you're in a pinch and you want to smooth something out, use a, a brush and a turpenoid and then get a bunch of alcohol in a spritzer bottle and just spray the shit out of it. And all the kind of sludge comes off. So... Anyway, these are things on my, if you are interested in hearing this stuff, these are on my, in my Patreon tutorials and stuff as well. I'm talking about, you know, and answering questions on there whenever anyone has a question about anything. So you can go to patreon.com slash chatzar. Um, hate to be a, a promotional person that, that way, but this is, I'm trying to get more people over there so I can just focus on making art for the, my Patreon people, then I wouldn't even have to worry about selling the art. You know, it's just like, if there's enough people on my Patreon, I can just sit and make the art I want to make for the people in the audience of Patreon that are willing to pay a small amount of money. That would be amazing. And then I could sell the art, you know, as it comes, but that's the ultimate goal. I think that would be amazing to not have to hustle art sales so much. I could just kind of focus on making cool stuff to, show everybody and talk about how I made it and stuff. Anyway, um, yeah, alcohol works with Super Sculpey. I think also lighter fluid works with Super Sculpey. Uh, also, one cool thing about Super Sculpey is you can bake it a little bit and it'll firm up just a little bit and then you can use a solvent like lighter fluid with a stiff brush and then you have more control because, you know... Um, Super Sculpey is so kind of gummy, or it can be really soft. So I know that some of the best Sculpey sculptors I know of, like uh, Paul Komoda, they heat things. You know, they don't fully cure it, but they heat it up 
in layers and then kind of build that way because it's just easier to deal with. Okay. Let me... The next was Alex Fitch asked my first paranormal paranormal experience, but I want to go first to... Uh, uh, let's see. Hocus Pocus. Let's talk about Hocus Pocus. Kirsten M. asked, Can you tell us about Hocus Pocus, classic Halloween film? Yes, I can. I was working at Alterian Studios. Uh, the job came in. I sculpted Billy, Billy the Butcher, right? That's his name? I get him and uh, the guy from that Martin Scorsese film confused billy butcherson one of them is billy butcherson and one's billy butcher i don't know but you know billy i think his name's billy butcher in hocus pocus i sculpted his face i sculpted his hands uh i designed him it was such a great character for me because i'm a zombie freak and i have been since the 70s since i was a little kid always loved zombies uh, I was into zombies before it was cool and I still love them. So anyway, and it was on Doug Jones, uh, and Doug Jones is very thin. So I was able to, you know, as a sculptor in effects, you're always adding when you're doing prosthetics, you're always adding layers on top of people's faces. So I'd make a terrible zombie cause I got like a round face and chubby cheeks and everything. And, and you'd have to, in order to get any kind of sunken in, sunken in this, uh, you have to add way out to kind of like simulate that. Whereas Doug is already very thin, so you don't have to build up so much. So the more you build up, the less it looks realistic in a prosthetic makeup. It looks funky, you know, because the eye, the eyeball, you can't do anything about. The eyeball is going to be where the eyeball is going to be because the actor needs to see. So it's got to blend. It blends around the eye. Generally, prosthetics do. So uh, the less you have to build out, the better. So I was able to sculpt a really thin zombie, very detailed. Uh, I got to, I just, you know, it was like one small, one easy, simple makeup that wasn't all these overlapping pieces. Uh, so I really got to focus on it and, and add all these little wrinkles. I was just in heaven for that. It was so much fun. And... um I think that's, I think that's all I did. Uh, uh, man, it was a long time ago. I know I did puppeteering because I'm in SAG, because that's how uh, makeup effects people get healthcare if they're lucky, is they get in the Screen Actors Guild for puppeteering. It was like the loophole because there's no healthcare plan in makeup effects. There isn't anything like that. Yeah, Doug is amazing. He's so nice. The nicest guy I've ever met, probably. Um, but anyway, yeah, so it's like if you could get in SAG, if you had a cool boss and the boss got you into SAG to do puppeteering on a character, because that's, that's theoretically a performance, even if you're kind of doing a, a remote control on some brows going like this. You know, that's theoretically, it's a, a performance. So any... SAG gigs you could get on. It was like, it was kind of a bummer because everybody in the shop was, uh, Hey, Andy Spade, what's up? Thanks for coming. 
Hey, Guns Razor, Razor's Knives 420, what's up? Yes, that Jack in the background is spoken for. That's a commission piece. Uh, but you can hit me up and if you want to commission one. Um, anyway, so, yeah, it was kind of a bummer because everyone was, you know, no one had health care unless you're in the makeup union because some people in effects that worked in the shops also would go on set as makeup artists. You get it through the makeup union or you get it through SAG. And so um, you had to put a lot of hours in for makeup un- to get in the makeup union. So I, that wasn't really an option for me, even though I did on-set makeup. It was not really my thing. You ended up having to do like beauty makeup and regular straight makeup in order to get enough hours in the makeup union. So that didn't really appeal to me. But I was able, my boss was, Tony Gardner was cool enough to get me into SAG. And so on Hocus Pocus, I uh, puppeteered the cat because we made a cat puppet uh, for that black cat. And I know I don't remember it. I don't remember anything about it because it was so long ago. But I was on set puppeteering the cat and I still get residual checks. I just got one yesterday. I think it was yesterday. You know, I get them for like 20 bucks or 30 bucks. That's the cool thing about SAG is you get residual checks for movies you worked on. If you puppeteered or you acted in them. Um, So that's it that I can think of. I mean, I remember, I know I talked to Kathy Najimy and she, oh, that might've been something else. Okay. She, she, yeah, Binks. That's it. Yeah. Binks. Um, Kathy, Kathy Najimi wanted me to be her personal makeup artist, but I think I, I didn't do a makeup on her for that. I did a makeup on her for some alien. I did this green alien head on her for a Disney world ride or a Disneyland ride. I forget what it was called. It was Kevin Pollack, Kathy Najimi and... Who's the other guy? Oh, Tyra Banks. And so we did makeups on that. And and I think that's maybe where I'm getting confused because she was in Hocus Pocus and she asked me if I would be her regular makeup artist. But I didn't, you know, I didn't really want to be a makeup artist. Anyway, uh, so that I think is it for Hocus Pocus. I remember it was a huge bomb when it came out. Completely flopped. And it's so cool that it became kind of this um, cult hit. Yeah, I didn't meet uh, Bette Midler or Sarah Jessica Parker. That's why I'm thinking I probably am confusing Kathy and Jimmy from when I worked on another project. Because I don't remember meeting anyone except Doug Jones. And we knew Doug from, I think, I think, I think we worked with him before that. But um, I'm pretty sure that. Tony Gardner's shop, Alterian Studios. Oh, you got a Billy Butcherson Funko. That's cool. I didn't know there was one. Uh, I think that, I mean, I may be wrong, but I think that Tony Gardner, Alterian Studios, the place I worked, I think they were the first people to use Doug in a creature suit. I think he started his career at Alterian. I could be wrong about that. But I know that as soon as we started working with him, he was so nice such a nice guy and he was so thin and he was perfect for so many characters perfect for for sculpting 
prosthetics on because he was so thin and just tolerant as hell. You could put him, do anything to him and he would not complain. It was really incredible. I don't know how he did it, but they used Alterian used him in everything they could after that for any, any, uh, suit work or whatever. Okay. Let me see. Let's see if there's any other questions. Uh, yeah, Doug's great to work with. Yeah, kid-friendly zombie. Yes, he was a good-hearted zombie. Mm. Okay, first paranormal experience, I think, was the the other question, Alex Fitch. And how did it influence your art? Uh, I don't remember my first paranormal experience because there were ghosts and hauntings happening at our first house that we lived in when I was just a baby. So um, I wasn't aware of anything around that time. I don't even remember being in that house. But that's that. there was a lot of crazy stuff my sister remembers because she she's like six years older than me, I think. And, uh, she remembers stuff. She was just telling me how there was this one door. They would always shut lock from the inside and put boxes in front of it because it kept opening. So whenever they would, they left, I guess one time after they had, shut it off. I'm sure my sister will correct me because she correct me, uh, corrected me recently about the knitting needle, the story where she got poked with knitting needles by a ghost. But I'll tell that one after. But um, uh, they left the house, came back, and the door was open. And it was locked and barricaded. And it freaked my mom out. And my sister said that she remembered she took the dog all around the house because they thought it was like someone broke in and there was nothing there. And, and I guess my mom was so freaked out that they just, they left and went, went to a, one of, one of our relatives houses or something for a while. Um, but you know, there was my, my sister would see a, an old man, I think, and a little boy on the ceiling. Um, uh, yeah, and so the, the 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 famous knitting that's famous knitting needle knitting needle story. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'll go on your podcast, Alex. Hit me up. Um. I, uh, so yeah, the story that I I remembered was that she got poked by knitting needles. Uh, this ghost poked her or something poked her with knitting needles, and she got all upset because she thought it was my brother and my mom. But the, the actual story, because I just talked to her about it a few weeks ago, uh, uh, hey, Tanya, what's up? Thanks for coming. Um, what happened was she was sitting there. She says she remembers it very clearly. She just had put the monkeys, you know, that band, the monkeys, she put the monkeys album on and it was the first song. Here we come walking down the street, you know, the monkeys theme song. If you're well, you might not if you're if you're too young, but um, they were like a Beatles ripoff, uh, but they're really huge in the '60s and '70s. 
so she put the record on and she was doing something and the knitting needles were in a closet across the room and she said they just came flying at her not like poking her but just like like you know a pencil just sideways hitting her boom like someone just threw knitting needles at her and she got all pissed and she uh according to my mother she comes into the kitchen where my mother and my brother were and she's like why did you do that you should why are you throwing things at me that's really mean blah blah like I just totally thought they did it and they had to try and tell her we did not throw knitting needles at you so that's the knitting needle story um what else yeah there's just there's so many ghost stories in my family that it's hard to keep the keep track of them all i know that one one was my my mother's best friend came over and she saw an old sea captain uh yeah kirsten i've had a i've had a lot of different weird experiences, mostly out of body experiences are probably the main thing that I've had, but my sister's seen ghosts and poltergeist had poltergeist experience and stuff. Um, uh, anyway, my mom's best friend said she saw a, a sea captain standing in the kitchen. And so the story goes, they, uh, found out who the owner of the house, the guy who originally, owned the house was uh, a naval sea captain. I forget his name, but they found out, you know, it was just one of those weird things, but she said she saw him standing there in the kitchen. Um, I remember one time when I was a teenager, I was doing the Ouija board, me and my friends, and it started going really fast, really, really, really like this fast. We couldn't even keep our hands on it. And my friend... Uh, one of my friends just like got so scared. He broke the Ouija board in half and my mom, I don't even think knew she was doing it or didn't know that we were doing it. She's and the next day. She said she was standing there and she saw a black figure peek around the corner at her out of the corner of her eye. Just kind of looking. Yeah. The house definitely had some history, both houses, you know, uh, Kirsten, Kirsten M said that house had some history. That was at the that stuff. The knit, I think the knitting needle was at the old house. The door opening was at the old house, and then the house that I remember, the second house we moved to, uh, also had weird stuff happening. You know, that was the one with where, where they saw the sea captain, or my mom's friend saw the sea captain. Um, my mom. I know my mom. I, I wish I could remember this story. Um. Uh. Uh, she was laying down and she had this weird dream that there was a, like a ghost of a, this woman with long black hair was standing by her bed or talking to her or something. And she, she was taking a nap and she got up and looked, apparently at some point looked in the bed and there was a long, long black hair, a single long black hair on the bed. And no one in the house had long black hair. <laughs> so, uh, but, but just, you know, there was a lot of that sort of stuff going on. Um, trying to think of some others. 
Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, okay. For, I'll, I'll say this is my first paranormal, paranormal. Why can't I say paranormal today? Paranormal experience. And that was, I was around 12 or 13 and I was sleeping and all of a sudden I opened my eyes, but my eyes were closed. I could see through my eye, eyelids and I, I could tell and I was stuck and I couldn't move. And I was like, oh shit. And I had this terrible feeling of dread, existential dread. And I was stuck in my body looking around, you know, kind of looking down at the bed and I couldn't move. And, um, I sensed that there was a person outside of the door and I think a light came on under the door. It's hard to know if I was, if that was like an embellishment for my imagination, but I know what was not an embellishment for my imagination was that all of a sudden there was this dude standing right next to me and I got this horrible, horrible feeling. And he had, he was like kind of like a heavy set man with a flannel shirt and a down vest. He looked like a truck driver on one of those puffy vests, like puffy jacket vests. And he had a pillow where his head was. And he was just standing there holding this pillow over his face. And I was going like, just trying to wake myself up. It was terrifying. And he just kept hitting me with the pillow. <laughs> it was so scary, like in the face. He would hit me with the pillow over and over. And, um, you know, I couldn't see his face. So it was almost like he didn't have a head. But, you know, it's hard hard to know. I kind of remember it being just like blackness where his head was. But, yeah, it was total sleep paralysis. But, you know, what is sleep paralysis? There's certainly more to it than just the scientific uh, explanation, in my in my opinion. But um, uh, I, I'm halfway through Talk to Me. No spoilers, Gabe. Um so anyway, I was like, but in my head, this voice was telling me he can't hurt you. He can only scare you. And so I was like, that didn't make me feel any better, but I, that's what the voice kept telling me. And so I like, finally was, I was so freaked out, shaking, shaking my, trying to shake myself out of it. I finally shook myself out of it. And, and then he just kind of went like this. It's just like in a movie where you wake up. It was kind of like everything went wee wavery, and then he was gone. So that was probably the first one that I remember. Um, that or one where I was, I can't remember which happened first. I think that's the first one, I'm pretty sure. And then I had another one where I, where I had a really positive outer body where I was floating around my room, and I felt like I was my true self. I felt like pure and... Uh, I didn't have any negative emotions weighing me down. Um, and uh, I just felt like my truest self floating around, like my spirit. And I went floated around the room, and then I floated through the wall, and it was light outside. And, and I was in a garage, and it, everything was really dark. And as soon as I hit the light, it was so bright, it shocked me, and I just went, and sucked back up. Boing, like a rubber band pulled me back into my body and I woke straight up. That was, that was, that was a little bit later because I was living in the, my parents' garage at that point, which was a converted music studio.
So, those were some uh, creepy paranormal things that happened to me. Um, I have a good one that my friend happened to my friend that I was sort of kind of involved in, and he had a crazy called him Crazy Uncle Knox. He was a, a crazy old dude, like mental illness, and he lived alone. And I was talking to my friend on the phone. We were teenagers. And this is back when there was call waiting. And the phone beeped. And he's like, oh, I got to go. Uh, let me, let me, hold on one second. And so he clicked over. A few seconds went by, or a minute or two. He came back. And he's like, oh, that was, that was Uncle Knox. He just said, uh, what did he say? He said, tell Susie goodbye or something, which is his mother. And, um, you know, and he was like a crazy guy. So I don't think, you know, that wasn't not unexpected. And apparently two days later, they went over to his house because no one could get a hold of him. And he was dead. He'd been dead a week or two. He had died. He was in the bathtub. He had the dripping, the faucet was dripping on his neck, so it made like a hole in his neck. And my friend was the one that found him. He had to go in there in the dark with a flashlight. And uh, it was like, whoa, he'd been dead, uh, I think they said a week or two. And, you know, and I was on the other line when he said that and was kind of there as it all happened, you know, just as a friend, not with him, but, you know, phone calls and stuff. So that was a pretty good one. Gabe, I was just, Gabe, I've been waiting. I stopped it at a certain point and I haven't gotten back to it yet. You said it was so good. You said that talk to me was so good. I want to give it my full attention. And I haven't had a chance. I haven't been able to give it my full attention. So I paused it and I'm waiting to watch the second half of it when I can give it my full attention. That's why I haven't watched the rest of talk to me, but it was good so far. Oh, uh, no local quantum circuit. Yeah, Robert Monroe's books are great. I I I read I've read a lot of his stuff. He's got some uh, great techniques. I think I think he's the guy that says to say clarity now, if you can't see and you can and then you'll be able to see. And I tried it and it worked, because I because a lot of times I have out of body experiences, whatever it is. It's like a dream, but it's not really like a dream. It's different because you're totally conscious. It's like a lucid dream, but it's different than a lucid dream too. Um, it just feels different. All these things feel related. Psychedelic trips, dreams, hallucinations, lucid dreams, out of bodies. They all feel related to me, like different aspects of the same thing or something. But um, I, uh, 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 a lot of times I'll just float around and I can't control myself. And I'm like kind of flailing, just kind of going, wee. And I can't control it, and um, and I can't see anything. And uh, he says he said to say clarity now, and you'll be able to see. And I tried it, and it worked. So I don't know. <laughs> I also learned, I think, from those books that you can. You know, the reason you flail around when you're going out of body is because it functions your what movement and things like that function as. 
from your thoughts and not, you know, like you go to move your arm and you just go like that because you've got, uh, you know, that muscle memory of moving your arm. So you're trying to do that in this out of body state and it doesn't work. But if you think I want to go forward, you'll go forward. I want to fly up. You'll go up. So you have to kind of think what you want to do and, and it works. And, but sometimes it's like, it's such a weird experience that you forget to even do that. And you're just kind of like floating around going, what? <laughs> but it happens probably twice a year to me, maybe more times. Happens a lot too when my sleep gets messed up. If I'm pulling all-nighters and my sleep schedule gets totally screwed up. Um, so... Out of bodies for me. That was the deal. That's my that's my big one. Um, so, any other questions? I don't know how long have we been going. Let's see, we started at three. Oh, like an hour. Any other questions? Anything? Anything? Any how? Oh, let me see what Alex. I went out of body. Alex Fitch creates. I went out of body and saw this hooded green red reaper sitting on a kitchen chair in my living room. Once it looked at me, I screamed and woke up. Shit felt so scary, but it was great for my art. LOL. Um, that's great. That's scary. Uh, guns, razors, knives, 420. Have you ever done any paintings based directly on the outer body experiences you've had in your life? I haven't really. It's, I, uh, it's not... I don't know. It doesn't seem like I haven't seen a lot of stuff that I've felt compelled to paint. Really. Even my nightmares, like I have nightmares once in a while and the monsters are not cool looking. You know, they're not paint worthy. They're usually like crappy. They look like paper mache, which is disturbing in its own way, but it wouldn't really work in a painting, I don't think, you know. Uh, yeah, of, yeah, Andy Spade, of course, I'll think of something after you've got gotten off. Yeah, <laughs> I'll probably think of things to talk about after I get off, too. Um, so, yeah, I've never really painted it. Um, uh, I painted, you know, my wife, she had an experience. Um, oh, yeah, oh, that's another good one, uh, non local quantum circuit yes okay i'll address that the sound the sound when you leave your body which sometimes happens sometimes doesn't happen to me but i will say that um before i met my wife and i've told the story a few times so i apologize if if you've heard it um <clears throat> uh i my friend was telling me about an experience she had when she was a little girl where she saw what she called the boogeyman appeared in a chair she was five years old her friend was there and didn't see it but she she saw she her friend said that she was totally freaking out but he was like made of little dots of light and he was just sitting there smiling at them and he had like a gangster suit on like a zoot suit almost and a kind of gangster i think a gangster hat like a fedora type gangster hat and he was just sitting there smiling at her and he had these uh, kind of a long face, slits for eyes, a little slit for a mouth with slightly, um, the corners slightly coming up. And I think a little horn 
in the center of his head. And he was just staring at her, and she couldn't make it go away. You know, it was like it wouldn't go away, and then it went away. Anyway, he told me that story. I was in high school, and um, I had just gotten an airbrush. And so I was like, oh, I need something to paint. I want to paint airbrush because I just got this airbrush. And so I painted my version of it, what I thought it would look like. And my friend still has has the painting. And uh, this is my documentary, too, Chet Zara, I Like to Paint Monsters, which is on Tubi for free. You can watch it on Tubi for free. Um, anyway, she saw it and said, yeah, it looked like that. So that was this weird connection we had even before we had even met. And then we ended up meeting and being friends and then got together and got married. And we've been married like 35 years, I think. I've been married so long, I can't remember how long. We both do this every year. Like, how long have we been married? <laughs> uh, okay, let's get on to, I got some other. Oh, the okay, the sound, the loud noise. I had another, I've had <clears throat> um, noises when leaving the body. Also, like, I've had this crackling sound. One time I had this, I had a really intense one. And it was during a period where I was taking antidepressants I took them for like a year when I was going through therapy to kind of help me deal with all the the trauma that was coming up and stuff and I think that affected my my sleeping pattern and patterns and my dreams and anyway I woke up and I was here and this is in the documentary also um, and I heard this crack the air was crackling like cellophane and I heard this sound and I've heard this sound other times too, going out of body, and it goes just like this. Like an an oscillating tone. And, um, uh, but this time I heard knocking on my back door and this is like three in the morning and I was like, Oh shit. And I had that feeling of dread and, and then I hear these little footsteps running through my house. It was carpeted. So it sounded more like little tiny footsteps, like little children. And they were laughing like three-year-olds or two-year-olds. Hee-hee. I was laughing. Uh, uh, I, don't, I don't have high blood pressure, Gabe. Um, and I didn't definitely didn't back then, too. Uh, but footsteps coming around, coming to my room. And they came in my room. And uh, I could see them come into my room, but they were invisible. And they were a little short guys like two or three feet tall and they came running around to my side of the bed and I was also stuck my bot my feet were floating up my head was stuck in my head and I was at an angle and I couldn't move because I was in that in-between state and then all the little guys came around to my bed and they stuck their hands in my head and I had this excruciating pain and that kind of pulled me out of it that was really really scary so I've had some like uh, positive out-of-body experiences 
and I've had some really terrifying out of out of body experiences. Okay, let's see. Uh, I've had that sound during a psychedelic trip too. Kind of that really high uh, pitch, kind of going up, like really high to where you can't even barely hear it. Uh, let's see. Do you believe in apporting or manifesting objects? A chaos, chaos magician taught me. Yeah, for sure. I've been doing it since I was a little kid. It's in the documentary. I talk about it a lot on the podcast too. Uh, I like Mitch Horowitz has a, um, a better way of, of describe or a way that seems more right to me, which is rather than manifesting something in your life through mental, um, concentration and mental focus. It's not that you're manifesting it. It's that you are choosing the reality that has that thing in it. So the idea being that there's like infinite versions of your life in other dimensions, which is, you know, kind of quantum theory thing that I don't really, you know, fully understand. But so, so when you, when you focus on something like through chaos magic or doing a sigil, you, um, it's not so much that you manifest it into your life. It's that you choose which reality you're in and you choose the reality where that thing exists for you that like if you 200 bucks you visualize 200 bucks you kind of switch into the real the the conscious reality that where you got 200 bucks from uh, visualizing something <laughs> rather than uh manifesting it's just uh semantics though but yeah i'm in, i'm into that i do it often um pretty often and uh, ultimately, I, I think that art really is is a form of, of that, of manifestation, where you're bringing something into reality that didn't exist using the power of your imagination. Um, mm -hmm. When you're visualizing a monster to paint, how do you... Paint hand down. When you're visualizing a monster to paint, do you know the look, emotion of the monster beforehand or... Or uh, does it manifest as you work? Uh, that's a good question. Usually, usually I start with a sketch or a doodle, and I have no idea what I want to do. Sometimes I'll have an idea, like oh, I, would, I would like to express this kind of idea. Generally, though, I I don't. I just start doodling, and and I feel like for me, that's where the best work comes from if I try and intellectualize too much and think about like oh I'm going to try and express this it doesn't work as well for me I feel like my best ideas are past my conscious mind and into my subconscious and so what I do is I just kind of doodle and uh, as I I start to kind of almost recognize something as it develops if it's going to be good I'll kind of follow that like I'll, I'll see something in it I like and then I'll just kind of keep developing that idea and um, if it uh, I mean really that's what a large part I think of the, of the skill of being an artist is to 
follow that thing and stay out of the way of that thing developing and helping to birth it by not trying too hard and just kind of keeping keeping loose and just playing keep this kind of playful attitude and what i found is that when i when i approach art that way that usually the meaning ends up being much deeper and more clever than i could have come up with on my own for the most part sometimes i come up with good ideas but generally my um my unconscious mind is better at it than me so that's kind of how i approach it once in a like I give the story of black magic, that painting I did that was popped into my head and that's its own weird story because it popped into my head out of nowhere, just randomly, just boom, popped into my head. And, uh, I just had to reproduce that. So, yeah. Any other questions? Anything? Anybody? Um, sometimes, you know, I'll see a, an image that inspires me to, to create a monster. I'll see a picture of a person that looks kind of weird, and I'm like, uh, that would be a cool creature. Um, Non-local quantum circuit says, I can't finish my paintings. I like to live with them. <laughs> you know, that's interesting because I know artists who don't like to get rid of their paintings. And uh, Gabe said, I have a few of those right now popping into my head. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I, I feel those feel to me like they're, they're gifts from the gods or something. Um, uh, the art gods. Uh, non-local quantum circuit. I can't finish my paintings. I like to live with them. I, you know, I, I know artists who don't like to, um, sell their paintings or give them, ha have them live somewhere else. And I have never felt that way. Um, I like to, I, I feel like you know, I like to paint them. I like the painting part. I don't really care. I don't like to just look at them when they're done. Once they're done, I just want to paint some more. It's all about this painting process for me. It's not really about the the object. It's like the art the painting is the is an artifact left over from this process I love to do. And so for for me, I I'm happy to sell them and kind of get them out of the house and uh, have other people love them and display them. I think that for me, that's part of the process. I like, I like that. And especially if I can sell them, that means it just supports me painting some more stuff. And cause that's, I just want to be painting all the time. That would be my dream. If I could just only create artwork, painting, sculpture, all the time that would be the dream unfortunately i have to hustle hustle uh work and stuff so there's all this um administration and stuff i have to do and trying to get commissions and this and that selling stuff online but so but i do know artists 
that that really are attached to their painting so i understand that it seems like you're on one side or the other from from artists i know um okay let's see what else do we have uh yeah gabe is making gabe did you post those pictures on any of your socials because those are cool he's, gabe texted me these cool paintings he's working on uh andy spade how long do your paintings take to do like a full-blown not a study i'm sure this is a loaded question you know since i started recording them in real time and then shrinking them down to high speed for my time lapses i actually have a record of how long they take and it's always different you know a lot of time it'll be i don't know 20 hours total but it's like you know it's spread out over a few days it's like you know you only get you'll paint for six hours and you'll get three of those hours will be really productive and three of them will be eh you're trying to get into the groove but um i record everything so so now i can look back and say oh that took this you know this many times this much time and it's and it really seems to be depending on the painting you know 20 to 40 hours i i think but sometimes that you know if it's a 20 or 40 hours even that might take three weeks or a month because it's you know i've got other things i'm juggling i've got you know like i said i'm getting only three really good hours in a day painting or whatever so um uh let's see what else uh, oh gabe's gabe go look at gabe leonard's instagram stories and he and he'll show his cool creepy paintings he's working on right now uh hey erwin papa what's up <clears throat> i have not done comics yet but that is what i'm hoping to do Maybe next year I would like to do a comic based on Dystopia, my book that I have somewhere. Got stuff on it, but this is my Dystopia book. It's, it's insane. Practically killed me. Practically bankrupted me. Um, but I, I'd like to... Uh, to do a comic. I think that'd be the next stage for dystopia is to do a comic uh, to tell the stories because it's really more of a guidebook about the world that I paint. Um, let's see, Tanya, I often see completed works in my head and have to scramble to find a place to write it down. I've missed a few and have seen them completed by others. Got to grab the ideas when they arrive ASAP. That's true. It's like David Lynch says, you know, it's, it's like ideas, are these things and sometimes people will get the same idea at the same time and whoever gets it down first gets the credit uh what was your coolest halloween costume hmm man i've had some pretty good ones i would always do like a weird monster stuff um, I, I, you know, the, I did one for my kid that I, I think is my favorite. And, um, 
I had to convince him to do this. It was a cl- it was a clown, right? He did not want to do it because he was nine or ten, and he did not want to go to school with people looking like a clown, which was the you know the main look. It was him in a clown suit, classic happy clown. And but the 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 gist of it is what made it cool is that I t- took a life mask of his face and I poured, I made a latex mask of his face so it fit right over his. And I painted the clown makeup on the mask. So when he put the mask on, it looked like him with clown makeup on. Just a rubber mask. And there was a little tab he could bite onto and kind of hold it in place. And underneath the mask, I just in paint, it was really simple. I painted muscle. Like, it looked like... Uh, you know, when he took the mask off, it looked like you, his face was ripped off. And so he didn't want to do this because in order for the gag to work, you have to walk around with a, a clown face. And so, you know, when you're 10 years old, a 10-year-old boy, you don't want to, you know, a clown is not a cool thing to be. And this is before, you know, evil clowns were a thing, really, in popular culture. It's like clowns are more of like a cheesy thing. But once I... I, I kind of forced him into it. And then when he first walked to school, the idea was that he was going to pull it off, hold it with his teeth where it stayed there. And then he would pull it off to rip his face off. What he, what he discovered was that if he tilted his head slightly and let go of the tab, it would just fall off and he could catch the face in his hand. It was so cool. So he, you know, reluctantly went to school that day. And he was walking by the kindergartners and everyone's like, Oh, a clown. <laughs> and he looked at them and tilted his head down and his face fell off and he caught his face. <laughs> and he said, they all screamed. And after that, he was all good with that costume. He was all good with it. So I think that was probably the best costume I, I ever had anything to do with best Halloween costume. Uh, Andy Spade, okay, do you paint only one until you're done? No, I work on multiple pieces or do you, or work multiple at a time. I work on a lot of pieces at a time. I like to have options. If I'm feeling stuck, I could put a painting aside. I could even turn it away so I don't look so I'm not looking at it. And um, I like to rotate, especially if I, if I've got a solo show, I do all of the I figure all of the draw all of the uh design painting designs out the drawings and everything and then i draw them out on the canvas i do all the underpainting toning the canvas and i kind of do it all in stages and um and constantly just rotate them out that's more uh if you know it's 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 a way of you know if i want sometimes you, you you're stuck in a painting and it's just not clicking yet but you don't feel like working on it because it's just not working and you have another, if you have another one uh, ready to go, you can just kind of like, okay, I'm going to put this one aside and work on this one. Cause you still want to keep painting. You're just not feeling that specific one because it's not gelling yet. So always, always, always lots of paintings. You can see I've got these commissions. It's rare that I just have one painting that I do until I finish. It happens sometimes if I don't have a lot of other paintings I need to do, but um, so yeah, I'll usually, multiples i mean i i think a lot of artists i know are like that i think gabe's like this as well 
Gabe Leonard. Hey, Andy Spade, you're an evil clown makeup right now. Cool. Uh, he was a happy clown. That was what made the, the costume cool, though, is that it was a nice, happy, normal clown. <laughs> and then until his face fell off. Oh, guns, razors, nice 420. Curious if you started that Phoenix piece you ordered that giant canvas for. Can't wait to see that one. Well, that's not happening now because I just I could not come up. I was not getting a good idea. I wasn't feeling good about it. And the guy who commissioned me to do that painting wanted me to be excited about the piece. So we decided on a um, another piece. So I'm going to do on that big, I think it's a 36 by 48 canvas. Or 30 by 40. I can't remember uh, which it is. But I'm doing kind of the theme, the skull flower theme i don't know if you saw that skull with the big yellow flower i did i'm going to do that but i'm going to do a rose in one of the eye sockets so it's going to be really cool it's going to be this giant skull with a rose in the eye socket the black background and uh, i really enjoyed i enjoy those skull paintings i've done a, a few of them now and uh, any excuse to, to paint a skull i love skulls and um, just a matter of coming up with a cool design I'm actually, I need to find rose reference. That's what's stopping me from working on it. I need to find a big open rose, uh, that I can use for my, for my reference for this thing. So I can shoot some reference and get started on that. Okay. I did that one time, Andy Spade. I did that one time almost 20 years ago, the Captain Spaulding mask. We re something, the whole cast and did a, trick-or-treating yard when the parents would ask me to take the mask off makeup underneath that's great <laughs> and Kristen M agree have found having options is very helpful when you get stuck or start finding a project tedious definitely yeah um, Alex or Andy Spade same I have 15 going right now yeah yeah I I, I it's I love I I just, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I like, it just feels more efficient to have a, uh, recreated. Okay. Uh, you created the whole, oh, I say, okay. Captain's bowling mask. We recreated the whole cast, did a trick or treat yard. Okay. Um, yeah, maybe it is an ADHD thing. Tanya said, but it feels more efficient to me to have, uh, a bunch of paintings you rotate out, especially if you're doing a solo show because, they feel, I think that if you work on them all at the same time and rotate them out, it gives a sense of um, cohesion to them all, you know, because you're doing them all in stages kind of back and forth and you're treating, you know, the show as the series as kind of one piece that's sort of meant to be shown together. So I'm all for it. I'm all for it. That's how I work. But, you know, however you work is whatever's comfortable to you. That's the way to do it. Whatever feels right. That's the way to paint. There's not... Uh, really, aside from a few basic, 
you know, technical issues with painting. Like you can't, you can't paint acrylics on top of oil, you know, fat over lean things, simple things like that. Aside from that, there's just no right or wrong way. I swear every, every artist I know does every, does it, does their tech, their process is different. Um, Tanya said, it's more cohesive. I line them up, look at them all, and call it a staff meeting. <laughs> That's great. Uh, Non-local quantum circuit. Have you ever played Seen the Game Scorn? Yes, I've seen the game. I've, I have the art, the art, the book, The Art of Scorn. I have not played the game. Um, uh, yeah, it looks cool. I don't have, you know, I don't play games. I just don't have time. I would love to play games. I used to play games. I grew up playing video games. I just stopped in the 90s because I just didn't have time. I do play uh, this one game. There is one game I play on the Oculus Quest called In Death Unchained. And it's a bow and arrow game where you're killing all these zombies and evil knights. It's really fun and really scary. And I love that game. That's the one game I play when I have time to play a game. Oh, yeah. Gabe's got 50, 64 paintings going at the moment. You going to tell everybody what the 64 paintings theme is, Gabe? <laughs> Are you saving that for a surprise? 64 paintings is crazy enough, but when you find out what he's painting, then it's really crazy. Uh Let's see. Paint Hand Dan. For Halloween, do you ever go all out to carve jack-o'-lanterns? You know, I've tried to do it. I've never made a really great jack-o'-lantern. I see these guys who sculpt them, and they're just incredible. I don't know what it is. I don't have the feel for it. Um, I, I, I've i never made a really... I usually What I usually do is kind of just... Uh, do the basic simple one i didn't even do a jack-o'-lantern this year because i was doing them um, you know when you got kids or grandkids like i got now you do it with them and that's you know part of the fun but now they're 12 and 13 so they're just like not really into that so i didn't do one this year and i when i but when i do i usually kind of do the standard triangle eyes triangle nose happy face with a couple teeth <laughs> i've tried doing nice ones I just don't have the, I don't know. It takes it takes more effort than than I've been willing to give it. I guess. Yeah, the art design of Scorn is the best. Non-local quantum circuit said. I agree, it's great. Giant skull sounds cool. Princess is an awesome piece. Thank you. I've got a, I've got some other ideas. I'm gonna keep doing those. I've done the, the, the skull paintings, the princess, and the uh, skull flower, and I, I basically, I, I've got, I mean, I get in the LA art show every year. It's a big convention in LA. Uh, Copper Gallery has a booth there, and I think I'm going to do another skull painting for that this year, because that's in February it's kind of fun to break things up and work from reference. You know, normally I'm just kind of painting out of my head and it's really kind of difficult 
but having a, a photo reference is just makes it so much easier and, and really enjoyable to paint. Um, let's see. No, Gabe Leonard said. Uh, you took this off. Okay, Guns, Razors, Knives, 420. You took this year off from doing a solo show. Are you going to have one next year? Yes, I'm having one next year at Copro Gallery at some some point in October. We don't have the day set yet. I don't even have the theme of... I don't have anything yet. I'm waiting for a really inspired idea, something I can get really excited about, something that would you know, be worth painting for a whole series, and I haven't haven't gotten it yet so I will at some point have you ever Alex Fitch creates have you ever sculpted wood I'm sure I have I can't think of it but I'm sure I have I kind of have a memory of sculpting like a like a prop birdhouse for something I've painted wood. I've painted stuff to look like wood. And I'm sure I've sculpted wood before, but I know I have. <laughs> I just can't remember what. Guns, razors, knives, 420. Love the zombie death bots last year. Thank you. Uh, oh, carved wood. I thought you meant sculpted something to look like wood. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, uh, I've never really carved wood, no. I've always wanted to. Um, I used to do wood burning when I was a little kid. That's kind of making a comeback now. I see people wood burning. I was doing that in the 70s. I would I would get like all my brother's uh, hand-me-down toys, and he had stuff from the 60s because he was five years older than me. So I'd get all of his, you know, Aurora model kit and uh leather working kit and magic set and wood burning toys and, and so I went through a phase of all that stuff um yeah so uh, guns razors knives 420 awesome it's always kill so no worries thank you yeah, I'll, I'm not worried. I'm not worried about the idea. I know I have to start the show, painting for the show. I know when I have to. I have to start three or four months before the date. I know I can do a show in three or four months, which is not fun, not the way I want to do it. So hopefully I'll come up with the idea and design the paintings at the beginning of the, the year. And... um and then I will work on them at a more calm pace throughout the year instead of waiting till the last minute like I always do and just bust them out in three months, which is, you know, like I said, can be done, but it's just not as fun. It's really painful, and I'm trying not to do that. But it's just it's not a laziness issue. It's like I got to keep making money, and so I have to focus on things that instantly make money sucks um but yeah <clears throat> well any last questions we're looking on a oh tanya i'm working on a show due in february it's not fun lol 
I, I love painting for a whole show. I mean, I, I really love doing a series of paintings that all kind of go together for a show. It's just not fun when there's not enough money around and you're stressing it and you're rushed and there's not enough time to do it the way you want it. You know, that takes all the fun out of it. Um, so I help, you know, every year I, I, I feel like I'm going to start early and do it right and take my time. And it just has never happened yet. <laughs> I don't think I've ever done it. I don't think I've ever done it like that, but I'm always hopeful. I'm an optimist. I always think there's that I, I may do it this time. Paint hand Dan. Oh, non-local quantum circuit. How much do you smoke per day? Probably like a pack a day, maybe a little less. Paint hand Dan. You mentioned you'd like to try wood carving. Do you ever feel like works in the present get in the way of other stuff? that intrigues you yeah yeah totally that's my whole life is like that i feel like i'm always just kind of treading water and um the idea of just being able to experiment and play is uh you know i just i don't get that unless I don't know. I have to make a, a choice to, to do that, give myself time to do that. But it's really hard when um, it's hard when you have too many things to do, which is usually the case for me. Um, do you have any blacklight art posters? Hmm. Uh, not really. I don't think so. I don't like... I have an art collection that I, because I've traded with artists, but, but I'm really so focused on making it, making the art. It's like it's more important for me to make it than it is to collect it. Like collecting, I'm like a casual collector. Most collectors, people that buy paintings, you know, they're, they're into it they're really into collecting and I totally get collecting art, you know, and I, I guess if my situation was different, I would probably be more of an art collector, but I'm, I just feel compelled to, to make like when you mention blacklight po art posters, blacklight art and posters B by the way is the username there. Hello. Um, you know, when you mention do you own any blacklight posters? The first thing I think of is like, man, I would like to make a blacklight poster. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, you know, it's, it's all about, um, making the stuff more than owning the stuff. Really. I just love making stuff. It's so much fun. It's, it's, uh, yeah, I'd love to, uh, paint hand Dan, giving yourself time takes away from the work and I totally get you. I'd love to see the play. I, you know, it's, it's like, I, I try to incorporate the play when I have a series to do, but even that there's constraints on that. I can't just do whatever. Um, sometimes with studies, I, I let, if I have to 
you know, just do a bunch of random studies. I'll, I'll just kind of do something for fun, but yeah, I'd love to, you know, I'd love to make a mask, a really cool, some Halloween masks or just so many different things, but it's just so much, only so much time. Uh, Alex Fitch creates. Yeah. I always wondered what art Chet had from other artists. I've got a Travis Louie. I've got a Sean Barber. I've got Dark Art Stan. I've got uh, Dave. Oh, I'm totally blanking. Dave McDowell. I've got two from him. I've got some Brian Smiths. Um, those are the ones that come to mind. Let's see. Uh, Andy Spade, when are you going to start a Grizai? I'm looking forward to seeing your approach. I'm sure I spelled that wrong. You almost, you almost spelled it right. Uh, I don't know if I have any plans on doing a Grizai. I've got on my Patreon. Are you on my Patreon? Because I've got um, at the student level. The ten dollar a month level. I've got um, a really good, pretty long tutorial painting a grisaille painting, painting it all in black and white, and then layering um, glazing colors over it. Uh, if you're on my Patreon, Patreon.com/slash/ChetZart, and you don't want to be ten dollars a month for a long time, you could just do it for one month and then look at the videos and then go back down to whatever level, like one dollar or five dollars or three dollars a month but uh yeah uh, lately i have not been doing grisaille i've been kind of doing more direct painting i just i go through different phases you know i i haven't really felt the need to go straight up grisaille for those who don't know grisaille is where you paint the underpainting you paint the completed painting in black and white just focusing on the values you mix in some other colors so it's not black and white is kind of mixing sort of ugly blue white so you can add raw umber or yellow ochre or some warm color burnt umber in there so it's not so bluish but you paint the underpainting just focusing on the values in black and white and then when that's dry you glaze transparent colors over it transparent and semi-transparent colors uh a mage mage shibari you, you came in just in time for the end because <laughs> i'm about to wrap it up i'm just kind of getting to the last questions here uh let's see tanya do you have any specific colors that are a staple in your palette and that you recommend we try uh, I'll tell you the one that I always recommend people is the, the one that I don't know of anybody else using. Obviously people are using it, but no artists I know, um, is a, is a, uh, raw umber, but the, uh, oh, what's the brand? Vasari, Vasari raw umber. It's different than any other raw umber I've ever used. It's very, it's more neutral and it makes these really amazing. When you mix it with white, it makes, like I've been doing, when I do grisaille stuff like 
Well, I don't know if I did it so much on this guy. This is kind of a Grisaille approach, because it's a, but it's like a black and white painting of a black and white picture. But um, if I were to do Grisaille now, I would probably use Vasari, raw umber, and white to do my underpainting. Because it's it's pretty dark, but it just makes a less yellowy, has a yes less yellowy tint to it and it's a little more neutral it's just a great a great uh raw umber it's not like i've tr every other i've tried to find replacements because oh yeah i did send you some did you ever try it tanya that vasari um it's it's a uh, the problem is you have to order a hundred dollars worth of paint from vasari so it's hard to just try one tube you have to order a hundred dollars worth and um but man I, I love that i love that raw umber it's a staple but normally i've got ivory black the main ones ivory black titanium white i've been using lead white lately also which is great um permanent alizarin crimson french ultramarine blue Yellow ochre, cadmium uh, scarlet, Vasari raw umber, and then burnt umber are the main ones that I always use. And then I add like you know cadmium, the cadmium yellow, uh, lemon yellow, and uh, cadmium red medium sometimes, and burnt sienna, and whatever. But those are the main ones that I just, you know, that work for me. Uh, oh, good, you tried it. Yeah, it's it's great, especially when you mix it with white. It's really great. I use it for painting underpaintings at Vasari Raw Umber a lot. Oh, R-C-H-L-H-R-K-R. I can't. R -C -H -L -H -R -K -R. <laughs> I'm not sure how, what that's supposed to say, but a hallowed thanks... Thank you for creating your work. Do you have any piece of wisdom for first putting your pieces out? What do you mean? First for, I don't know. I'm not sure. If you could be more specific, I will answer that question. Um, uh... I don't really know what you mean there. First putting your pieces out. Be more specific and I'll be happy to answer that question. Otherwise, we should probably wrap it up because we're at about an hour 45 minutes. I don't know how successful this was. I don't know if anybody wants me to do it again. <laughs> Maybe... Um, if there's a specific topic or something, I don't know. Uh, like getting a first piece sold, maybe, or getting into a gallery. That's the thing. I'm not really sure what they meant. Oh, getting your art out there. Oh, okay, okay. Wisdoms for getting your art out there. Uh, let's see. Well, you know, as Gabe Leonard always says, just put it in front of people in whatever way that you can. And, you know, the internet is the, 
the easiest way to do that now, obvious, you know, social media, uh, I would say make sure that your art is great. If you're do if you've done your work and you're making really great work, then just start putting it out there, start promoting it, post it on social media and try and, um, get some recogni recognition that way. Um, you know, if there's, you could show anywhere, you know, I, when I first started, I showed in any gallery that would have me, I showed in coffee shops, any opportunity to show my work to people. I took it. I was not too, uh, snooty for any venue I showed everywhere everywhere that would have me I showed uh, because really you're just trying to get in, you're trying to get your work in front of people's eyes and whatever in any way you can think you know if that means again posting on social media is the obvious thing but you have a ton of competition there Gabe Leonard often says you know like he started took his work down to the boardwalk in Venice and just laid it out and start selling it. Uh, there's art fairs, local art fairs. There's, you know, there's ways of doing it. You don't have to get in a gallery. You could start small. You could literally set up on a street corner if you wanted to with your artwork there. Uh, I, I wouldn't do that, <laughs> but you can do it. So, you know, you could, you could enter art competitions. There's lots of different ways of doing it. It's just, I, you know, I've always thought approach your art marketing in the same way that you approach, approach your artwork. Um, try and be creative with it. You know, try and be clever about how you share stuff. If you, you know, if you, if you need to, you need to stand out from all the people because everybody is sharing uh, artwork all the time. So you have to kind of stand out. So if you could find out ways, I'm sure there's ways that no one's done yet, you know, that ha haven't even been uh, thought of yet to display your work on social media or, you know, just be creative about it. Yeah, I don't know. Like, you know, you see people nowadays, the thing is you take the painting and it's facing, I, this annoys the shit out of me for some reason, but it is a way that, and it's a new way. I haven't seen people do it. They turn it around or they have it backwards and then they turn it around to show you the front. It's like, you know, somebody just started doing that and then everybody started doing it. So that was like a, an example of that idea that some unique way to stand out. Now, of course, everybody does it. So you don't stand out, but the first person to do it or the first few people had a, a unique way of, of showing people. So be creative in the same way that you are creative with your artwork, be creative with your marketing and, uh, yeah, you know, you could submit to galleries. You could, I, I would say do it all. I would say do it all really try everything, try anything. Um, yeah, just think of it creatively. Think of it creatively.
because because uh, at, at its best, marketing can be a creative thing. You know, nobody wants to do it, but but it can be done really creatively. Like think about uh, Nine Inch Nails doing that album. They did that one album where they had like a uh, like a game that went along with it. Some some I don't know the name of the album, but I know that there was like a whole like a found footage kind of online game where you treasure hunt type thing you know that's that was marketing that was really clever um so anyway let's see gotta be business and an artist which is the hard part sometimes because we just want to do the art part yeah so if you can make it creative at least you're fulfilling some creative uh you're scratching some creative itch by creatively presenting your artwork or you know coming up with some cool font or logo or whatever there's just the human imagination is infinite and you know we we put all that energy towards our artwork but the reality is you got a market nowadays so you might you need to take that um energy and creativity and put it towards your marketing you know that'll just give you a leg up Hold it upside down and flip it. <laughs> oh, yeah. most uh, Ken Bolton says, most local areas do art walks. You can also look into local artists, guilds, or collectives. Very good point. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Art walks is, art walk is kind of a popular thing. Uh, yeah. And starting locally, you know, I had my first show in the town I live in, in this tiny little gallery. Just it was, they were open to it you know and it was easy because it was close so just do whatever's whatever you can whatever's easiest do that um it just you gotta you know if you're starting from nothing you just gotta don't be too proud to do anything it's all you never know one person might see something at some crappy coffee shop one person might buy something or one person might end up being your collector for life or one person might tell someone a friend of theirs about your artwork and you know and they buy something and they end up buying all you just never know okay let's see okay paint hand dan my last question most used paintbrush and top three most used tools in your studio um i like hmm I, you know, I don't, I used to use filberts a lot, paintbrushes, which are the kind of rounded, they're like, they're slightly rounded at the tips, but I've been using flat, or uh, not, not brights, but flats, because brights are the really short flat ones, but I've been using, Uh, this one's kind of flat. It's kind of flayed. But I've been using these flat flat ones lately. Flats and rounds. I've been doing a lot with rounds. I, I, uh, I've, uh, there's a guy named Dwayne Kaiser who does a painting a day. He started that whole painting a day thing. And I'm on his mailing list. And I, and I saw, he does these direct painting paintings from life 
in one sitting with a round, a big fat round brush. It's really cool. So once I saw that, I started thinking like, maybe I can use rounds more. You can kind of do it all with a round. You could do it all for the most part with a filbert or a flat really. Um, so I guess I've been using more rounds and flats lately. And uh, as far as most used tool, top three most used tools in the studio, hmm, probably paper towels <laughs> is a good one. Uh, I use a lot of paper towels. Uh, man, I like my parallel palette. This palette that's kind of up next to my easel. I love that thing. Uh, oh, I'll give you my favorite, one of my favorite tools, my grabber. I got my grabber because initially, because my studio is always so messy and cluttered that I would drop brushes behind like the easel. Damn, why can't I? Okay. And so I got this grabber on eBay to pick stuff up and they're just cool, but then I realized I needed a mall stick, which are these sticks to rest your hand on when you're painting. You know, you rest your hand on it. So normally it's like a wooden stick with a piece of leather and like a soft ball at the end so you can lean it on the painting. But I just put a screw. I drilled out a, a hole and put some screws on the easel so I can hang it at different levels and I got some screws down here sticking out so I can kind of like position it and then I use it as a mall stick so it's my combination grabber mall stick that is my favorite probably my favorite tool <laughs> believe it or not um Tani says I used to dance in front of my studio gallery with salsa music playing and sort of direct people to my door lol made some sales that way actually yeah seriously that's a great idea it is it's you know that's it and that's using you know creativity to to market yourself and making it fun um steve clef i only use rounds oh i didn't know you only use rounds but i'm a watercolor guy yeah check out steve's work everybody he's such a great painter he does these crazy watercolors i don't know how he how he does it that's interesting i didn't realize he only used rounds steve um, yeah, I mean, you can also, Steve says, oh, that's the trick. I got the grabber, but didn't know how to rest it in place. You know, you can also, what I was doing at first is this handle. I was resting it on the edge of the easel. You can't see it's out of frame, but say, you know, if you rested it there, you can kind of rest it on the edge. But then I was like, I wanted more options. So I drilled a hole. That's my contrib that's my great contrib contribution to the art world to the the history of art is the grabber mall stick uh, <laughs> the tool Kristen M the tool I never knew I needed you'll you'll see you know I mean don't I don't know about you but I drop stuff all the time and it's so hard to get it's it's falls behind the easel falls behind i have so much junk in here that i have to the grabber's the only way to get it otherwise i'm like down on my knees and crawling under a bunch of cords and stuff to try and get a paintbrush that has paint in it before it dries and 
and it's like, oh, the grabber, that's the trick. <laughs> so anyway, well, I guess that's a good, uh, a good, uh, place to end on. <laughs> you have contributed more to history, to art history. Thank you, Steve. Um, yeah. So I guess we'll call it. Um, I hope everybody thank you so much for for joining me we'll see how this plays as an audio podcast i think i think it'll be all right i'm gonna um download this video and edit the, the music for the intro and and just no yeah and then use that for the audio podcast i guess we'll see it was exper an experiment and i enjoyed hanging out with y'all on Halloween. I really appreciate the little community that's happening here on um, YouTube in the live chats. I really look forward to that every week. It's fun. Uh, yeah, thank you all for, for joining. And again, if you, if you, if you can uh, afford a buck a month, you can support the Dark Art Society Patreon at patreon.com slash Society or mine, which is patreon.com slash chetzar. And that helps. And if you can't, that's it's all good. That's why uh, that's why we have it for free. Um, yeah. So I hope everyone has a great Halloween. I really enjoyed spending it with you. And um, uh, yeah, thank you, thank you for coming. Happy Halloween, everybody. Hey, Mark. Mark says that's awesome. Chat. Thanks for <laughs> for joining. Kirsten M., thank you for sharing and spending some Halloween time with us. Thank you for for hanging with me. Andy Spade, thanks, Chet. Happy Halloween. It was awesome hanging with you a bit. I'm glad you liked it. I, I had fun, too. So maybe we'll do more of these in the future if everybody likes them. Uh, Paint Hand Dan, thank you. Thanks for coming. I'm glad you enjoyed it. All right. So I guess I'm going to sign off, let everyone back to their regularly scheduled Halloween activities. Thank you for listening, everyone out there. And um, I guess I'll st end with my usual goodbye, audience. Happy Halloween, everybody. Thank you. Bye. Bye. <laughs>